When my son was only 21 months old, he was diagnosed with autism. Even before his diagnosis, from about 11 months of age, we felt that something was not quite right. He seemed fiercely independent. Later, we thought that he might be deaf, because he would never respond to his name. On a few occasions, his mother would sneak up from behind and loudly clap her hands in hopes for a reaction. No response. But then two minutes later, he would jump and sprint to the faint noise of his favorite TV show coming from two rooms over. He never cried when he fell. Fans and exit signs mesmerized him. He could preoccupy himself for hours with light switches and our electric thermostat. And he would rarely, if ever, smile at his mother and I. Shortly after the diagnosis, we lived in denial for about a week. And for about two weeks, we cried. And then we finally got to work. We chose a therapy called ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis. Essentially, this program consisted of therapists coming over to our home for four to six hours a day, five days a week, working on skills to help our son overcome his deficits. Good work. It was at this time we met and hired a 19-year-old therapist named Kelly. Now what made Kelly unique was the fact that Kelly was autistic. But despite her autism, Kelly holds a full-time job as a therapist, and she also attends the junior college majoring in psychology. To meet her, you would never think of her as autistic. Just a little quirky, just a little shy. For us, what made Kelly truly remarkable was the fact that she could help us understand our son's world. How many, let me ask you this, roughly, just estimate, how many kids have you worked with? 300. You don't feel handicapped cognitively? No. Or educationally? No. Do you feel handicapped emotionally? Um, yeah. A normal person could feel like an autistic person if um, they were in a room with like three radios on and this, the, it was, they were all turned up as loud as they could go and it was all on static channels. And they had clothes on that were soaked in starch the night before and that were like made of wool. And their shoes were like two sizes too small and there was like a disco light going on and then imagine someone coming in and reading like a, a one-page essay to you. Have you ever um, have you ever worked with somebody that just recovered? Well, it, you know, it has did pretty well and has recovered to, to be very indistinguishable. Oh, yeah. to invite Hushkir here is because basically, I mean, Hushkir has, like all of you, have taken your children as individuals and looked at what might help them physiologically and mentally and and socially and developmentally. I've just been absolutely astonished by the amount of progress that Hushkir has had in the last year and a half with him. 
I'm not sure what, what everyone else has done. I'm sure that everyone else here has done, you know, pretty, pretty similar stuff. I, I mean, I, I think my thing was that I just followed her lead all the time. If my kid spun, I would spin. If she climbed up on tables, I would climb up on tables. If she hand flapped, I'd hand flap. If she rocked, I'd rock. Everything of, short of the physical stuff that she would do or do to herself, like, you know, scratching her face or pulling her hair out or hitting herself, I wouldn't necessarily fall along with that. <laughs> but I really found, though, that when, when I did those repetitive things with her, there was, I don't know, there was a, a connection that would happen between us that was just, I, mean, I can't even put into words, like, it was just so profound. We used to be that, you know, we, we couldn't go to the park without her lying down in the middle of the sidewalk. <laughs> So I'd lie down in the middle of the sidewalk with her, you know, just little things like that. And she says the same line over and over again and asks a question, same question over and over again. I just keep asking, well, saying the same question back or answering the same way. And then I keep doing that for quite a long time. And then I'd sort of put a spin on it and try to open up another, another way, another route. I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not, but that's, I also, because she has so many, um, allergies and stuff I cut out well everything that she even had a mild intolerance to um, I definitely went gluten-free casing free which I'm sure that you guys a lot of you guys have probably done I've gone the biomedical route as well with no and yeah I mean I, I have a I definitely have a healthier kid and I have a happier kid for it she has made a lot of big improvements but she's really worked hard <laughs> she's definitely been busting her butt um, but it, it certainly hasn't been easy <laughs> at all. I, I can't stand the fact that as soon as people find out I have an autistic child, well, children, one of the first responses has a tendency to be, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why would you apologize for me having my kid? I love my kids, you know? But people automatically have this this image and they hear autism and gosh, they just think that's the worst thing ever. That's incredibly frustrating, but it's harder on the children than it is on us. They're the ones who are trying to fit in. And the way that I look at it is it's like my boys are at a dinner party where everybody is dressed up in tuxedos and dinner gowns. And my boys showed up in swimming trunks, but they're not allowed to leave. They got to go make eye contact and they've got to go talk to people and they have to not notice that everybody's looking at them. And I think that's the best way to describe it for People who don't really deal with autistic people that often. It's probably the best metaphor I can come up with. If anyone else has a problem with it, I mean, <laughs> forget them. You know, I, I, but I have found that I've done that a lot. You know, I, I, I will go out and say if my kid's having a meltdown or something, I'll apologize. And it's... I think I we've I all do done that. that. I, I, I hate it when I do that, though, because for what? For being who she is. It just makes no sense to do that. I, I would, that's one thing I wish I'd stop doing. <laughs> I do it far too often. Or used to. I guess I haven't had to do that so much now, but I used to do that an awful lot. I think maybe um, as she gets older, you may go through stages of... Like right now, you're going through apologizing for her. There may be the next stage where you turn around and you kind of just, you know, give them the middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> I went through that stage. And then oh, yeah. <laughs> you go through another stage where it's like, you know, like Leanne. You just kind of look at them. And then if they don't look away, you kind of say, well, 
my boys have autism. What's your daughter's problem? (laughs) (laughs) You do. You go through these stages. That's why I have a tendency to kind of, you know, behind the back when they're all looking at us walk away, (laughs) my finger automatically goes up. Love it. I had I had one guy approach me and I was in a parking lot and you know I mean it was the usual thing back then try to put my kid in a car seat well <laughs> good luck <laughs> and so she was you know we're having the obligatory meltdown while I was trying to step her into a car seat I had a guy come up to me a complete stranger he said to me what you need to do is you need to discipline your child more you need to give her a smack parents like you need to give your kid a smack when when that happens and i turned to him and i said i said he uh, said he said smack yeah give it a smack i turned to him and i said i'm not really in the habit of beating children with disabilities he looked shocked and and said oh i'm so sorry and i said yes and that's why you're turning around and you're going back to your car and i have had people do that you know come up to in public and can't you control your child and no no i can't (laughs) Would you like to try? <laughs> like, it's just, it's amazing. Sometimes what people will say, and it's like, it hasn't happened for a really, really long time. But I think the last time somebody said something like that to me, I just started laughing at them. Do you have those moments where you feel like you're not doing a good enough job, even though you're doing the very best that you can? Oh, absolutely. I often don't feel like I'm doing enough. I actually, most of the time, don't feel like I'm doing enough. But maybe I haven't explored one route enough. I have found, if I mean, I used to be up until 2 a.m. every morning or later doing research night after night after night. This is after we stopped being up every hour with knowing that during the night I'd start to keep myself up and do research, just trying anything I could do to help my kid who was so sick. Actually, until recently, I sort of hit a bit of a brick wall in that it's funny, like, I mean, the, until this week, I couldn't bring myself to call up a certain, you know, unnamed agency to get, just to, just to talk to them about the possibilities of, of help next year. And all it was was a phone call. Like, it ended up being an 11-minute phone call. I was paralyzed. I couldn't get myself to do it before that until, you know, about two months ago. I mean, I was just doing, I was doing era, standing on my head. I was doing everything I could, but then I just sort of hit that wall. But yeah, I do also have the nights too where I, I, or the days too where I just feel like I'm the worst parent ever because I've, maybe I don't have as much patience that day or maybe I, I'm feeling negative about things and I, I do, I feel like I'm failing my kids sometimes because I, I don't know, I, I can't be the perfect mom that I want to be able to be. I can't be everything to her and it's, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of gets to me sometimes. <laughs> When I can't be everything. Well, you got to have time to be yourself too, right? And I mean, I think that's the thing about parenthood and balance that's that could be missing when you have a special needs child is that taking that time for you to take care of you because you're constantly taking care of other people. So I'm not even a parent yet, and I'm absolutely amazed at you ladies. So when I start having babies, you're coming down. And you're going to hang out with me and show me everything you know. I put it there. I'm a doula and a certified lactation consultant, so I'm totally your girl. You get pregnant, you talk to me, okay? Okay. (laughs) Awesome.
that is an aspect that can be really difficult with this stuff is, is to find, to fit yourself into the equation. Wow, yeah, that's, 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 uh, for me, that's basically unheard of. I mean, how, like, how do you find time to put yourself into the equation? I don't know. Like, I, I have yet to really find a balance. I, I don't know if there is a balance. I don't, have any of you and ladies been able to find a balance? Because I haven't. <laughs> I can find balance, like, I break it down. I have balance for like an hour, and that is a victorious damn hour right there. I, I don't really have balance throughout the whole day. I call, <laughs> I have something I call, I call it my white trash spa. Um, <laughs> it's so horrible. But I, 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 I take a bath, and I have my bath pillow, and it's only candles, and it's my bath oils, some music playing, and I don't give a damn who's beating on the 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 door to get in because it's locked but the reason I call my trash like I have my I have my sweet tea sitting up on the side of the bathtub and and I'm flaking a cigarette in the toilet because that's real high class right there but that's what I but that's that that half hour I can get you know and I'm just like this is my bath time and I hear nobody I think that what you need to do and all of us need to do is just keep remembering that if you can get if half an hour is too big of a block, come up with a 10-minute block. A 10-minute block to, okay, I'm going to sit down real quick and I'm going to paint my toenails. I'm just going to get my toenails painted and that's it. And just do those little tiny things that keep you grounded to the fact that, yes, we're mothers. And yes, we're mothers to children with special needs, but we are still women. And we are still individuals. And we can't lose sight in that because when you do lose sight in that, then you're nowhere near as beneficial for your children as as you are when you feel more complete and more whole. And it's a constant struggle for me to remember that. So I make a point of reminding myself every day at least once. I'm curious about you and your experiences, Isaac. I think that my view really is, is just that of the general layperson where autism is really just like an abstract concept in my world. The only way it, it gains any amount of reality in my life is through friends of mine like yourselves who can who can shed light on it. And other than that, there was Rain Man, obviously, which is something everybody cites. And then, yeah, so it's just been abstract. So it, I, it really, it's important that I hear all of you talking about it so I have some kind of real-world understanding. Well, what I think is really fascinating is I think that through learning more about autism and autistic children and, and just learning in general is that every single child is going to be different in their approach to learning. It's been really fascinating to me because I can now point out things about children without really labeling them one way or the other, but being able to see that they could be spectrum because they have a, a specific talent or a uh, lack of eye contact or even ones that may not have actually even been diagnosed as being autistic or not, or even having a behavioral issue, a, a kid in a clinic that has a behavioral issue and, and coming to realize that perhaps it's just a learning issue that's never been looked at and that's their cover up for their learning difficulties as well. So I think that it's been a really eye-opening experience working and, and knowing and, and relating to Lashia and her experiences because it's definitely opened my eyes to 
being how ignorant I am to, or I used to be to children having meltdowns and, and not being able to cope. So it's actually really been an awesome experience because it's, it's, it's actually allowed me to be a lot more compassionate to the individual and looking at individuals in a different way than expecting that everybody's going to learn the same way or be the same way. So it's been very cool. It's, it's really helped out in a lot of, of my professional endeavors as well as my personal ones. Celine, what grades do you teach or are you a professor? Or? Well, I'm a percussionist and drummer. And so I go in to do clinics at schools, do workshops in schools. Mm-hmm. And that usually starts grade five up to grade 12. So there's a lot of, a lot of different age groups involved. Mm, interesting. I'm finding that as an educator, because I teach middle school, what I'm discovering is that there is a surge in diagnosing children. And I know that many people, especially people like in the public eye, have kind of said, oh, well, all of a sudden we have all these kids with autism. I don't think it's necessarily all of a sudden we have all these kids with autism or on the autism spectrum. Is as much as it is we are discovering that there are more people out there with the right diagnosis of autism. And I'm finding that I'm beginning to have to use different teaching styles because many children with autism don't have the neurotypical way of learning. So I have begun to refine my teaching style, and I actually think it's gotten a lot better because, believe it or not, a lot of the way that I've had to learn to teach within the past couple years has helped even the children in my classes who don't have autism. I think as our kids get older and we have a better way of diagnosing children with autism, it's going to be an acceptable diagnosis in public school. Actually, I would like to touch on that a little bit because I have encountered that big time with Alex. Alex was in what is called a life skills class. Uh, He was listed as mentally retarded. I had been educating Alex at home all this time and trying to get the teachers to listen to me. And it really was the most frustrating, ridiculous thing ever because they would say, well, no, he can't do that. And I would bring out these huge binders and say, well, yes, he can because he can do it at home for me. He's proving that he can do it. Finally, when I really started pushing, I wanted to remove Alex from the public school system altogether. I wanted to put him into uh, the NHS School of Autism. I met a lot of resistance, and they even brought in, uh, the public school system brought in uh, their autistic specialist who tried to disprove that my son even has autism. He did his own checklist and um, skated over quite a bit. And it's illegal, by the way, but it didn't stop them. It, it took me having to take them all the way to court to win an education for my son within one week of him being in an autistic support class back within our school district where I actually pay taxes. Um, within one week, they decided he was not only going to come out for his English class, they were also going to bring him out for computer 
uh, science, history, and his art class. Yeah, that's a significant part of his day that was mainstreamed. As soon as he started his history class, they gave him a packet for the entire semester, and Alex did three quarters of it in one night. And so we had to have a conversation with him where he needs to work along with the class, not like weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of them. But now he's doing so well that next year he is going to not even need the autistic support class. He will be completely mainstreamed at the high school. And nobody wanted to actually listen to that because being a parent – for some reason, that disqualifies you, and you really, really have to fight. And I can't even imagine how many children are falling through the cracks. I've actually decided to homeschool my kid. But, yeah, I mean, they do have some funding for, for kids here within the public system, but what they do here is that they pool it all together so it doesn't directly go to your child. It just gets all pulled together, and so it's really not very much. And if there's anyone in the school who has a diagnosis that's any more severe than my daughter, which at this point is, I mean, a definite. She would not see any of that help. But I know that although my kid can function quite well in uh, a drama class that I have her in or a music class or ballet or gymnastics, like I, I, she does just fine, I know that she's not okay I'd say around, you know, the 45, 50 minute mark and she just sort of plows through and and gets through. But by the end of the class, she's definitely spent. And I know that for her, she would need help during the day, an aide or or somebody to sort of help her cope. And uh, I know that she wouldn't get that help. Same kind of thing that happened with you, Leanne, that my daughter would not really get an education. It would be sort of a life skills class. I've also found, too, like right now we're, we're getting funding, well, up to the age of six. Um, kids on the spectrum do get extra funding, but I'm finding the same thing as well, where, where the professionals are coming in, they're telling me that my kid can't do this or can't do that, and yet I can get her to do it, <laughs> and she just does just fine. Not only does just fine, but probably, you know, sometimes functions higher than her peer does, peers do with certain academic things. I, I, I just want my kid to have an education, and I really am afraid that she would fall through the cracks if I were to put her in public school. She just would not get the support and help that she needs. I've decided to do the homeschooling route because it's, it just doesn't look <laughs> The other alternative does not look good for us at all. But it's, it's working well. I mean, she's got lots of friends. She's got lots of playdates. She's flourishing. She's doing great. Homeschooling probably would be your best bet with the way that the school system is up there. But, I, you know, I definitely want to point out, no matter how difficult that anyone makes it for you to be able to to get what your child needs, no matter if they tell you, well, she can't, when you know damn well she can, um, you know, I know. I know firsthand exactly what that is like. Just don't give up and make sure that you surround yourself with a, a very strong, healthy support system because that's what you need to fall back on. Different people, the, the school system, the doctors, whomever, they can make it a living hell for you. And I just really hope that you remain as strong as you obviously are and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing because you can get somewhere by doing that. Well, thanks. <laughs> When she was in kindergarten, she used to run out of the classroom 
in the classroom, there was two doors. One led into the hallway, which the hallway was was like the whole school was along this one hallway. And the other door led outside. She would, depending on where the teacher was in the room, if the teacher was at the door that was closer to the hallway, she would run out of the door that was led outside. If the teacher was at the door closest to outside, she would run out the door and got led into the hallway. And I was asked, it was. It got to a certain point where Adara had become so distracted. If I was in there with her, I would have to leave the room because she was actually in my partner's class. So I would spend half the day out of the classroom because she was there. And if I went in or was, and I was distracting her, she would begin to cry and she'd want to be with me and she wouldn't want to be with her peers learning like the rest. You know, just being engaged with them. When she moved into the first grade, her teacher had to get a security bell, one of those little beeps or whatever they're called that you put on the door. And you put one on the door and you put one on the door jam. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. And whenever someone tries to open the door, it makes that beep. She was so funny because she would get down on the carpet and act like she was you know, like the teacher couldn't see her and try to open the door fast enough and get out the door before the beep went off. Um, she would uh, marine crawl behind the other students' desks below the light, line of sight of the teacher. And that way, when she was sneaking out, the teacher's in the front of the classroom, she could not see Adara sneaking out. It's been a very interesting, her first two years of school were real interesting. I actually had to pull her out of the school district that I was teaching in because she wasn't receiving the services that she needed. As much as I pushed, as much as I practically screamed, we weren't satisfied. Fortunately, our home district, because it is such a large district here in the county, has all kinds of services that she was able to receive beginning the, I would say, the second month that she was in the school. By the third month, I believe, she had an aide one-on-one with her all day at school. A couple of weeks later, she was placed into a classroom where the teacher had been educated, teaching children with Asperger's and autism, The classroom was designed for children with autism. I mean, it was where she was supposed to be. She has been in that class for almost two years, and we have seen tremendous growth where before she wasn't able to identify all the letters and sounds of the alphabet. She is now reading at a high uh, first grade level. I would say end of the year, first, second grade beginning of the year level she does work on her own she's motivated on her own to get her work done at school and someone doesn't have to sit there with her and remind her every 15 20 minutes so it took that it took saying you know what enough is enough okay you guys diagnosed her you you know the child psychologist there in the district in the first district she was in wrote on her psychology report that she did have autism We took what they gave us and we left. We took her out of that district and said, okay, we're going home. 
and they've done so much for her in our district now. I'd like to hear a little bit about some of the quirky things your children do that you can't imagine living without. It's such an integral part of your life at this point. That, that's a bit of a tough question for me because I'm not really sure what typical is, <laughs> to be honest. But I know that there's certain aspects of my daughter that I just, I think are amazing. And, and I, I, I know that one of the things I found a little bit difficult when we got the diagnosis was that things that I thought were gifts, I was told were, um, were symptoms. But, but they're actually gifts. <laughs> I love her laugh. I love... I love I love it when your kid reaches that next little milestone. You know, the, the things that, that perhaps a parent of, of a typical child would take for granted, eye contact or or, or responding to a, to a question that somebody poses or understanding a simple a simple request. These perhaps are things that we take for granted if you, if we have an, a typical child. But I uh, when you when you get to the point where your kid response to your name again when you get to see your kid interacting with somebody else and having fun and and being engaged it's just those little things it's 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 like it's like it's like the sun coming out it's it's wonderful well first and foremost his laugh and the other thing is um he has this this smart alecky way about him that's so witty he'll you know you'll be talking about something and he'll just be sitting there doing his thing and all of a sudden under his breath he'll he'll he has a photographic memory and he watches thomas the tank engine and has for years and has memorized every line every movie every book and he'll pop out with well sir topham hat is grumpy today because he didn't get the line off on time just some perfectly rehearsed thing that completely has something to do with whatever is going on in the room and i couldn't imagine you know i couldn't imagine that not having that aspect in life with him it's it's uh it's awesome adara has this sense of humor about her she recites lines from movies, and most recently her thing is to say, Are you calling my cousin a wet sandwich? And that's from the from Fantastic Mr. Fox. And she just does that whole scene, and she does it in the voices of the characters. If I ask her to do it, she'll just, she'll, we'll be in the middle of the store, and she's just like, okay. And she does it, and there's people around, and they all turn around, and they just watch her. And she just, she loves the attention. Her laughter, Jessica, like yours, is, your little boy is completely contagious. I could never see myself living without taking her to the theater. We love taking Adar to the movie theater to go see whatever latest movie is out for kids. My sisters will line up and beg me to let them take her to go see a movie that she's already seen two or three times because my mom has taken her because she wants to sit with her and listen to her laugh and watch her watch the movie. My father-in-law has taken her. My other sister has taken her. And it's all because they love to watch the expressions that she makes, the way that she watches the movie and her face and the movements of her hand and her body. And she's watching these characters. It's like, it's almost like as if she's herself in the movie being one of those characters. 
I, I love that about her. I could never, I would never trade that in for anything, for any kind of neurotypicalness. I would never do it. Alex decided that mythology, Roman and Greek mythology, was something that he was really going to get into, and he could tell you anything about any of the gods and how they correlate and why classical mythology is so superior to the Nordic mythology or the Eastern mythology. With Jonathan, even his teacher at school said she finds excuses to get him to read to her because he's so animated and he just comes alive. His whole face lights up, and I don't see uncertainty in his face at that time. The same thing applies for Alex when he's telling me something that he's learned and he's he's going so deeply into the details of it. All that uncertainty is gone and they're self-assured and they're confident and they know what they're talking about. And I think one of the hardest things has been seeing them unhappy so often. To see all of that disappear in those moments and it's like the purest form of happiness.